This is episode number 19 of the Polyglot Developer Podcast, and I'm your host, Nick Raboy. Hey everyone, welcome back to the show. If you're a software developer, you've probably come around the term or terms continuous integration and continuous delivery. These two concepts aid organizations when it comes to automated testing or automated delivery of applications after testing. However, both leave a lot to be desired when it comes to notifications and how things happen in terms of events uh, and similar. In this episode, We're going to be focusing on automated software delivery for cloud-native applications. And in this episode, I actually have a guest by the name of Jim Clark, who works for a company called Atomist. And this company actually focuses on such technologies. The goal of this episode is to make you as productive and as efficient as possible when it comes to not only developing your applications, but deploying them as well. With that said, enjoy the show. Hey everyone, I'm with Jim Clark today, and we're going to be talking about automated software delivery for your cloud-native applications. But before we get into the grunt of our topic, I want to give Jim a chance to introduce himself. So how are you doing, Jim? Great. Thanks, Nick. Uh, yeah, I'm Jim Clark. I'm uh, the chief architect, one of the co-founders of, uh, of Atomist. And like you said, we're working on continuous delivery. Awesome. So what exactly are you doing at Atomist? Before we get into actually what Atomist is, are you like a developer or um, what, what's your role? Um, well, we're a pretty technical crew, and um, so I do I do develop code. Uh, I also spend I've spent a lot of time in the industry working on problems in build systems, continuous integration, continuous delivery. So I. It was a problem that was bothering me for sure, and so I've been sort of spending a lot of time trying to architect around what is the big issue that companies are facing right now with with these problems and so i'm uh, i'm using the experience that i've got since the late 90s and maybe one one interesting thing to talk about is like why why did i end up interested in this topic but but yeah i've been i've 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 been one of the one of the one of the architects but it's hard to say that with atomus cuz we have a team full of people who are basically architects themselves. So we actually work we work, we work we work very closely together on a problem that all of us are pretty passionate about. Awesome. Yeah, no, that that sounds that sounds great. Um so when when we'll jump right into this. So when I think of automated software delivery, a few things come to my mind. Um so for one, I think maybe deploying operating system updates on a network or two, maybe some kind of continuous deployment uh for for uh, developed software. Um, what what comes to your mind when it comes to uh, when someone mentions automated software delivery? Well, right right now, what what jumps into my my head is um, just how difficult it is to do uh, to 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 automate the software delivery process, and I think needlessly. But that's 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 me talking from the experience of of having been worked on this problem for the past two years. Um, but yeah, I mean, I do I do think that those two two things that you bring up are are really interesting because if you take a look at something like um, like deploying an operating system patch or, or deploying a, a new component, 
over the past couple of years, we've we've started to get into a, a, a an, we started to have the capability of writing software to deliver software. And so like a great example is you look you look at Kubernetes these days and we we now have programming APIs in order to create um, ingress controllers and manipulate how requests are making it from the outside world into our services. And something like Nginx can actually become almost an implementation detail of the of 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 APIs that we that we execute to to create these kinds of rules, and I mean it's sort of similar to with with operating system patches. We we are now rebuilding our clusters by writing code to rebuild those clusters. So when when we sense the need, and sensing the need is a is a mouthful, but when we realize that we really that we need to. To, uh, to to patch an operating system, we're we're we've moved we've we've really really moved far now in the in the past few years into being able to actually write code to do that. Yeah, um, I agree. We we've come a long way. So I I remember the good old days, and I'm sure you you said you were doing this since the '90s of having to do all of this manually, and it's it's, it's a pretty pretty painful process a lot of times, right? Yeah, it's 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 kind of interesting because um, I remember like back back in the '90s, I was like like a lot of people I think in the '90s, I wasn't actually planning on getting into software. Um, I just found myself in 1998, sort of realizing that whether I liked it or not, the jobs that were available <laughs> were going to be in in software, and I was frankly a little bit intimidated by the fact that. Um, something that I had sort of by mistake learned how to do was was going to be a, was going to be a career when something when the thing that I trained to do was not, <laughs> and uh, and I really thought when I entered the world of professional of professional software that um, that the I, I wanted to be useful. I, I wanted to find things that I could do that would be that would be uh, that that would contrib- contribute to the to the to whatever companies that I, I found myself lucky enough to work at. And one of the first things I, I started to do was, was ask the question, like, how do you build this? How do you, how do you get all this stuff to something that we call a release that's actually useful for, for customers? So I sort of found myself asking, how, like, how is it that we work? How do we, how do, we do these things? How do, we, how do we build? And it was sort of surprising that probably the bulk of the companies that I worked at didn't treat builds as if they were something that had to um, had to be automated. Um, you sort of built it when you when you need it needed it, and it almost felt a little bit revolutionary that you could propose the idea that you should you should build it all the time and you should use software in order to you should program how you program. And, uh, and so I, that, it, that became kind of an early fascination for me. And I really do think it was, it was based on the idea that I just wanted to find useful things to do. And I couldn't think, I couldn't think of anything more useful than, um, automating these things that we know how to do and making them, making them spread across the team. So you mentioned something about, um, the, the typical process for release. Um, what, what would you say goes into, a release for let's say the let's start with the average company. What does the average enterprise do when it comes to releasing a piece of software? I I'm not even sure there is an average 
process. Um, I think that right right now we see a lot of companies replatforming onto onto different technologies, so that uh, things like um, deploying to cloud, deploying um, things in broken down into services when they may have at one time delivered delivered monolithic applications. Um, there, so the the this is a this is a is a constantly changing game. And yeah. so, of course, there's 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 these things that everyone needs to know how to do. You you need to you need to know what you do when when a a, a push uh, a commit occurs and how do you build it and how do you package it. But what do you package it into? What do you run it on? Um, how does QA uh, how do manual QA plug uh, processes plug into that? What do you do with your APM systems? How do you manage the inflow of data from security violations that 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 are occurring, um, and how do you retire software? I mean, the, some of these pipelines can, some of these things that we we, we talk about in delivery, maybe, maybe we should be thinking about them as lasting for the whole lifetime of the service. So it's a really changing, it's a really changing landscape. And I think that's one of the reasons that we wanted to build Atomist right now is because we know that people are are struggling with with the fact that they're they're having to they're having to rethink how they do this. So, I guess let's ju- let's drive uh, dive right into Atomist, and we'll we'll switch around as as we go along. Wh- maybe what is Atomist? Because you've thrown it out there. You work for Atomist. You've, you're a co-founder, um, and it, and it solves what what seems to be a pretty big task in in the de- deployment world, right? Yeah, yeah. But um, and, and at its core, it's 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 actually got some pretty simple ideas. So. We want teams to be able to ask themselves, what do your what does your organization do when there is a change that occurs in a repository? What does your organization do when a build finishes successfully? What does your organization do when a new artifact or a new library arrives in your binary repository? What does your organization do when you just detected a new um, security issue on uh, that that there's where where there's a public advisory. What does your organization do when there's a cluster in your um, in your in your Kubernetes cluster and there's a pod that's crash looping? So we we sort of said that organizations need to be able to answer those questions, and when they do, they that is that is the answer to the prob- to the problems of how you deliver software. So the first thing that comes to my mind when you when you mentioned all of those things about what what would your organization do is the first thing that comes to my mind is uh, they would be notified of the problem, right? That's is it, would that be the first step? Notification is super important. Um, what what's what's important after notification though is making those notifications actionable. Sure. So so one of the one of the big things that we've really focused on is we want all of those events to be as easy as possible to expo- expose to um, to make Atomist able to expose all of those events, and then of course definitely be able to notify users about them. And that's one of the reasons that we've invested heavily in chat ops because we think these notifications should occur in a in a social context. Um, but very importantly, we when when these things occur, we want the set of actions that people might want to take to be placed into into the notification as well. Um, that actually has a really great set of follow on um, follow on effects. That if 
we put a button in front of a user that says, this build was successful, um, it's passed all its unit tests, do you want to deploy this into staging? And if they always click yes, then that gives you an opportunity to say, you're always clicking yes, maybe we should just do this every time. Is that, is that what you want us to do? Yes. And so you're, you're essentially growing your automation by starting with notifications, making them actionable, and then turning them into actual automation <laughs> and being able to ask the system, what are the things that, what are the transitions that I make when, when these events occur? And very powerfully, what follows on from that is you, you realize that when you build new projects, you don't have to carry with you all of the, of the automation that you created in a, in a previous project. It lives outside of, outside of these projects. And it means that creating new things is basically zero config. You just continue to process the same events that you processed for, for, the, other, for, the, for, for the projects you've been working on. But what if the rules have changed between your projects? Like, what if, what if the typical go ahead and uh, deploy because you've always clicked that button works for one project, but it doesn't work for the other project? Right. Is that, is that ever a scenario? Totally. And um, so there's, there, are, there are lots of rules where lots of times when you've got different tech stacks. And so you've, your, your, your rules for how you package up your Spring Boot application, there's actually quite different from the rules that you use to package up your, your React Node application or, um, your, or your Ruby project. So you've got, you've got differences there, but there's a lot of sharing across those across those projects as well. A good example that, that, uh, that we come up with, we've come up with is um, when, when you're moving to the, to the cloud, you're often looking at a project and, and saying, okay, does, is this, does this project actually build a Docker container? Yes, it does. Oh, okay. So then I've got a lot of additional options. Does this project have a Cloud Foundry manifest in it? It does. Oh, okay. So I'm when uh, when this when this builds successfully, let's offer the ability for for that project to be delivered to Cloud Foundry. So the content of the project often gives you a lot of often it gives the author of this automation of this sort of like actionable thing gives gives them the the opportunity to tailor what what sort of opportunity what sort of options they put in front of users and our ceo um he has he 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 sort of came up with the analogy of of thinking about this as an actual machine so instead of thinking about pipelines which which i actually consider to be rather um r rather uh, like pr actually prevent a lot of innovation in my opinion how so he well, maybe you can there, tell me after. Yeah, yeah. The I, let's let's uh, let's remember that. Yeah. So, the the idea of th treating this as a machine that that sees things occur and then does does uh, takes actions is an analogy that keeps the the overall delivery landscape open to introducing new phases and makes sure that the pipeline doesn't become a uh, does, doesn't become something that locks out innovation. So here's one of the here's one of the big questions that people have to ask ask themselves. 
when you're, say you want to roll out a static code analysis tool and you, you really want to run analyses on all of your repos and you know that the analysis is going to be difficult to interpret at first. If it, so you need that, you, you need the analysis to start, to start running um, and getting as much data back as, as, as you can. So you can start to look at like, what, what is this data that this tool is producing? How can I make this useful for the rest of my team? So that's, that's something you have to be able to do in an hour or two. It can't take you six weeks to go out and ask everyone in the organization to update some CI pipeline or update some build file somewhere. You've got to be able to just turn this on have all of the have have all of the events um, be be visible to this, and just start collecting this data. And by the time you've you've learned what is the sort of static analysis that the, that this tool is doing, and you've turned this into data that's actually useful, you push that back into the system and make and 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 give people the opportunity to to now take action on good, clean, um, valuable data. So. The, the, the important thing, the important sort of metric is make sure that if you're going to roll out static code analysis, you can roll it out that afternoon. You can get it running on all your repos that afternoon. Another one would be um, if you want to insert a new step before you, say, deploy, to deploy a, um, a release, that inserting a new step into a pipeline is, again, something that you need to be able to do that day. It can't, it, it can't take, take months for you to be able to do that. Um, and opening up, the, tre treating, uh, tr treating the entire system as, a, as actionable events allows you at, at any time to say, before I do this deployment, I, I need to trigger this action. It's going to report in, in this way, and then I will... I will do my deployment. So I'm always I'm always making sure that I can insert new features, new actions, new automations into um, into these fundamentally open pipelines. So they look like pipelines when you watch Atomist deliver software. It 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 responds to events and it does things in a certain order. So it it uh, it sees a push, it does a build, it packages that build into a Docker container, it updates the deployment spec, it does a blue-green release on something. Um, it, it looks very much like a pipeline, but in fact, it's a trace of all the activities that are, are related, are, are downstream of this change that you made. And that's how we treat it in a, in a chat ops context as well. It's the... The, the bot is is in the group to say, hey, I see a push. I'm gonna, I'm building it now. Uh, the build now now the build was fine. I'm I'm putting I'm I'm releasing it. Um, it's in staging now. The tests have passed. Should I put it into production? Yes or no? Um, so it's 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 using all of the it's it's using the this sort of change that we've made here in in how we think about delivery to become almost like a little assistant that's watching all the different activities but the activities are fundamentally open and that's that's a really really important part of of why we think software delivery machines are are the way to go and um and and the idea of pipelines is is just it's just not going to get us there so i'm trying to paint a picture of all of, all of what you said in my mind um, and, and you, correct me if I'm wrong on any of any of this. So you're saying the way Atomist works is you 
you're, you're giving, let's say, a task, and then you create several kind of, uh, maybe you could say apps or, or workers or some other kind of task that really just watch this maybe centralized task. And as, as it picks up things, as each of these other maybe child tasks pick up different ta- um, events, they, they perform their own events. Is that kind of what's happening or? So the, the, at the, at the core of Atomist um, is we have a cloud service. Yes. And the, that, that, that service is really, uh, you can almost think about it as um, a sort of an integration as a service sort of, sort of architecture. Yes. So it, it exposes webhooks. And so you can hook up your, your GitHubs, your CIs, your, um, your Kubernetes agents. Um, you, they, they all emit events into this system. Sure. We correlate those events together, which is actually a really important, important aspect of this. We're not delivering just the event to, um, down to our software delivery machine. We're delivering a graph of all the related things to that event. So when a, when a Kubernetes pod starts to crash loop and we get that event from our Kubernetes agent, um, the, the, so the software delivery machine doesn't have to react to just that event. It reacts to that event, to the image. It, it, it has a graph that has that, the, the fact that this is, is crash looping. It has the image that's in that deployment. It knows which release that image was from. It knows what repository that Im- image was built out of. It knows what channel in, say, Slack um, that repo, the people who are working on that repo are. And so it can, it can, put, it can add a lot more context to that information when it, when it notifies users about, the, about, uh, about this crash looping. So it's tracing it down to the correct person in the organization then, right? It can, yeah. That's the beauty of that's the beauty of being able to um, to correlate events into an entire graph of all the related and then um, whereas entities. It, if we're just talking about some kind of just say continuous integration deployment pipeline, it might be the QA team and only the QA team that gets notifications. Correct. Right. Exactly. And that's and that's so you get a lot of siloed knowledge. Um, when, when, uh, when that occurs, whereas when you, if you keep, if you push all of the events into a central place where they're all, all hooked together, um, you can, you can query for, um, you can, you can find out who developed the, the commits that went into this push. Um, if you happen to have pushed into the, into the system, the QA, QA engineers, which signed off on it, um, they can, they're part of that graph as well. Um, so you can pull, you can pull a lot of human context into the, into each of these events that's occurring. And that's, that's really why in one sense, we wanted to treat this as, as kind of a, a problem of integration. We wanted to make it really, really easy for, for teams to, um, to extend the number of events that they, that they pull in. And then the software delivery machine is really the 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 framework and this is very this atomist is 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 really proposing a new development framework here um the software delivery machine allows you to code what should what occurs at each of those each of those points so it's not always just delivery um what another question that you that that teams ask themselves is um, how do I create new repos and what do I do when I create a new project? Um, 
there's there's a lot of opportunities to process events in very early in 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 the life cycle of a project and very late in the in the life cycle of a project. So you're saying that Atomus acts as a development framework as well. Is that what I understood? It does. Yes, it's very much so. That's that's actually one one a really really a really key um, part of of the vision for us. We believe that you should develop your development experience. So then, so then that brings up the question: Is so if you have all of these moving pieces um, that are flowing through Atomist, what happens when you're actually developing for Atomist? Is there a piece that watches that for error as well? The events, the the systems that are flowing through Atomist, um, the that that's actually the Atomist cloud service. Sure. Yep. And uh, and so that that's that's the that's the revenue model for for us is is that we keep we we know how to um, keep these events flowing, keep these events correlated. And when you attach your software delivery machine to the Atomus cloud service, yes. we are we, we we are we're doing quality of service guarantees at that level. So I'm, I'm just trying to understand. So. You, let's go, let's go with the Kubernetes example that you've been that you've been going through. So in that example, if if Kubernetes is having a problem, it crashes, it, it traces back through through the image and back to the the correct team. But what happens if there's some kind of error in that the developer had had used the Atomus framework incorrectly? Does that make more sense or? Um, yeah, well, so so the the Atomus framework allows you to to subscribe to these graphs of data. Sure. Yeah, and um, and we we actually really really are putting a lot of effort into making sure that the actual software delivery machine itself is a a, a unit testable releasable piece of software. So the 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 ability to to describe what a graph looks like when you're when you've got a, a Kubernetes a, a crash looping Kubernetes pod. And to test the the software that you write into your software delivery machine, that's part of of, of us treating this as a really as as an actual development framework. Um, so we we we're kind of attacking the whole notion that there's way too much delivery going into cl- like describing things in YAML um, because that really is hard to test. And so we're 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 asked we're we're providing the opportunity to 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 actually code this software delivery machine in well TypeScript is the is the main language that we're that we're pushing right now, and everything that we we know about about unit testing we're bringing to bear on the problem of making sure this this software delivery machine actually works by the time you you attach it and let it let it process live events. Got it. So even though that you're coding though with 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 TypeScript for for Atomist, uh, it still supports pretty much endless amounts of of uh, development technologies, correct? Yeah, that's right. So one of the one of the technologies that we've we've pushed here is um, well, custom, sort of two things, I guess, custom ingestion, and that means that um, of course GitHub webhooks and and uh, CI webhooks like Jenkins and Travis and Circle and CodeShip and all these all these great tools, um, we, we th- those we we support those out of the box. Um, but there are there are lots of things that occur in um, 
in your systems uh, in in uh, the enterprise, where there we're not going to we're not going to have a uh, a webhook prepared out of the box. So we want to make sure that it's easy in your software delivery machine to define the schema of a payload. And when the software delivery machine attaches to Atomist, Atomist creates the webhook for you and ingests that data and correlates it into the graph. And so that allows you to basically take a a software delivery machine can say, there is a there is a QA flow that occurs and it needs a manual sign off, um, and this is the this is the schema that occurs at that point, and here is my event handler for that. You can code them right in in one machine, and you can you can bring in arbitrary systems. Um, same with extending it to 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 do some work with code uh, static code analysis or um, the APM any APM system that you might might be using it it the life cycle is define the schema um, attach it to Atomist Atomist gives you the webhook now you can start to write event handlers on that but they the the events that you process don't just get the data in your schema they get the data in the schema attached to the larger graph of, of the of the change that, that is is being processed. Um, so it's it's uh, we've used GraphQL because we don't think about this as a resource oriented problem. We think about this as a graph of everything related to your to your delivery. And um, so the the it was it was really kind of a interesting way of, of taking advantage of what's going on in the GraphQL world to sort of say, you know what, this is what we need as well, because we're, this schema that, that we're building here, it's, it's open, it's fundamentally open. And as teams add their own custom ingestion points, the schema that they, that they can operate on is, is actually team specific. And we really want that. When it comes to services and stuff that that you can integrate in Atomist, um, so you mentioned a lot of CI uh, CD uh, services out there like Travis and things like that. What other kind of integrations are there um, that people can use with Atomist other than those? That well, the the CI CD SCM yeah. and cloud services are are the big ones right now. Correct. Um, that's and and so those those are the ones that we've focused on out of the out of the box. So making sure that people have an, an amazing experience with um, with Kubernetes um, or with Heroku or with Cloud Foundry, um, that's that that was that was really important. Um, were and and same same with the CI vendors like they're the make, making sure that that um, that we're not pushing people to um, to to adopt our notion of CI. That was a very important design characteristic for us. So we we're we're not we're not concerned with whether whether or not people are using um, like Jenkins or 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 CodeShip or Circle or Travis or Concourse or I, I mean the, the, it's actually really really difficult to list all the different. Yeah, no, no, no but there. like even even beyond that, let's so uh, it, going beyond the continuous integration stuff. Like, is there like, uh, I don't even know if this would be relevant. It might be, but say a Splunk integration with uh, Atomus. Yep. Yeah, for sure. Um, so when when Splunk looks at looks at this problem um, internally, for example, I mean, they're, they're, 
they are they are the world leaders in uh, in in uh, in processing um, data and intelligence that comes out of Splunk. Um, so we what we want to do for for um, for companies like Splunk and for people using Splunk is to uh, to take the 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 say the alerts or the or the warnings that that are coming out of these systems and um, and define define that schema make sure that they can that those get can be ingested into um, into atomist and um, and exposed um, maybe maybe that's the well we we do think that's the easiest way that you can chat ops enable events and warnings of that kind. Um, and link them back to the developers that are most impacted by um, by that alert. Um, so yeah, the, the the ability to bring in Splunk, it, uh, a tool like Splunk, is 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 uh, is super important for us. And those integrations, I mean, we're hoping that those uh, those integrations are going to be done very publicly and and open source, so that other people can can take advantage of them. So you'll have maybe um, a marketplace that, that has a list of integrations and, and that way it'll be easy to contribute to that marketplace for vendors. That's what exactly. That's what, that's what we want. So again, an example right now we're working with, um, JFrog sure. on, on, a, on a project and what, what the, the payload that, that they can, they can push when you have a set of artifacts that are impacted by a new, security um issue that has been that has been raised in in uh, in the community what do you do with that with that piece of intelligence um well it's a it's a new thing it's a it's a new it's a new problem so if you want to make that if you want to take best advantage of the fact that the jfrog has this great data then and they've and and they've got already a schema for for describing this this issue and the the impacted artifacts. We can integrate that uh, into the graph. We can put we can put in front of the users. Hey, um, you are your project depends on this version of this Apache Commons library, and there's a violation. It's fixed in version. In this version, here's a PR. Do you want to do you do you want to merge this PR? And so you've taken you've taken a nice piece of of uh, of information and you've made it actionable and put it in front of the people that actually care. Um, and uh, you know they they start their testing and hopefully the time between these these the community knowing about these security things and them having actually patched their software goes dramatically down. Yeah, that's the dream, right? So that way we don't uh, get exposed to these, these exploit or these uh, all all of the malicious activity that that can be found on the internet, right? Yeah, yeah, and <laughs> and I mean we think about those as events, and it's amazing how how uh, like the quality of data out there provided by companies like JFrog and SNCC, and it's amazing. I mean, they're 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 these 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 uh, these organizations are doing doing an incredible job. Um, uh, curating all, all of this data and, and it's, but making it actionable oh, yeah. and, and merging it into the, into the pipelines. This is where, this is where, where, where we feel Atomist comes in because we really do make that, make that easy. And, uh, so we want, we want to, we want to help people take better advantage of the, of the data they already have. And some of it is even internal, like, uh, 
Another example I'll give you is um, one of the principles of microservices is allow people to use whatever versions of libraries they want. Um, but there are there are some teams that are sort of you know always going to charge ahead a little bit, and then there are some times when you really want the rest of the organization to maybe kind of catch up a little bit on on uh, you don't want the library skew to be too to, to be too too large, so it's it's never you you never want to update. You, you never want to have uh, something where like all 50 of your projects are always kept on the same version of a library. That's just, that's just kind of uh, like a, that'd be rare. Um, it's yeah. And it, it, it's not, it's just not realistic. Yeah. But when, 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 when someone who really understands this is, is sort of surging forward and says, you know what, this is a great version of spring boot. Um, let's set that as a goal um, uh, organization wide. And every time you do a push, and and uh, the the you you can your software delivery machine can can come up in the in in the channel that you're in and say you know what it's a goal of everyone to get to this version um, you want me to do a PR for you and so you're just making it easier to do the to do the right thing and the gap between people who are uh, the 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 skew that you have across uh, it just goes down very very naturally. Well, um, I imagine and- that uh, Adamus. Would would also benefit in the fact that it it could probably if there's so many different variations of that library, I'm sure it can detect um, if maybe one of those versions has a security flaw in it, and it can notify that team, right? Whoever's using. That's, absolutely, yeah, ab- absolutely, and and these things these things become very very simple to develop on top of a on top of a framework like the software delivery machine because the primitives that you have there are code scanning and yeah. creating prs and and um and the the events that you need are 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 flowing in so you end up you end up with a lot of expertise spreading out across your organization because the expertise is not locked into these per repo pipelines and so you 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 make it you make it really, really easy for teams that have have great delivery to um, to pull other teams up and have the same delivery. And I think that's one of our one of the things that we've we've learned is really important. Is some teams do a really a really great job of delivering their their software. Like they just they're just really into automation. They're just kind of a little bit ahead. And if they're going to start another project. We want that to be zero config, and if some other some other team is going to say, "Oh, I want to do it that way too," we want that to be zero config. <laughs> um, and and so we built the we we built the platform that we think makes that possible. Yeah, no, it sounds really cool. So if I were to ask you this question, maybe you can paint a picture for me. I know that you've thrown out several uh, a ton of different examples here, but what I want to hear is I want to hear a particularly awesome use case of Atomus right now that's being that's being used like what is somebody like what have you thought to yourself and said like wow this this is a great use case for Atomus um what's well, somebody r- doing well if, if you're yeah. allowed to talk about that yeah yeah no I I, I think the um like th- there's so there's so many projects going on right now and we're at the beginning of sort of of saying that the way that most people are doing continuous delivery is wrong <laughs> and we need to do it this way that we're getting we're getting a lot of use cases flown uh, thrown at us and they're and they're 
they're super interesting. Um, like the one that's, that's in, in, uh, at the, at the right now is that's most interesting to, to me is, um, probably the one that I'm just happened to be working on, uh, blue green deployments. And what exactly is that? So when a, when a new, when I, I, I have a new version of a service and I want to, um, I want to, I want 10% of my traffic to, to route to that. And, um, and if it's, if it's, if it's holding up, um, then I want to make a hundred percent of my traffic route to it. Um, if it's, if it's falling back, um, and, and it's, it's not doing well. I'm like, okay, I'm, I'm, I'm gonna, I'm gonna roll this change back and, and, and pull it out of, pull it out of production. And now you can, you can do that automated. Yeah. So the techniques for that are very well known. So I'm not going to say that we've invented anything sure. there. We've not Kubernetes, like, like in, in, in different, different environments, people know how to do that. The killer use case for me is that not everybody knows how to do that. And so the great thing about a software delivery machine is if you do it once, if someone in your organization knows how to do that, everybody knows how to do it. And it's actually, it's actually one of those things that's very similar across, across teams. So I, I guess I wouldn't, that, that example is, is one that, you know, good teams know how to do this and they've, and they've managed, they, they have managed to automate that. The thing that's really exciting to me about Atomist with this one is that, um, we've, we, we've managed to do it in a, in a way where your entire team benefits from, from the expertise that, that comes out of this, this one group that's figured it out. Yeah, that's great. So we are, uh, we are just about out of time. So I want to give you a chance to lay down some last minute advice or words of wisdom. Maybe, maybe you've seen somebody do something like crazy wrong or crazy right. And you just want to, just want to point it out there. Um, yeah, I mean, I, I, right, right now, because, because we're, we're, we're early, we're, 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 um, we're, we've got a product now and we've, we've, we've got what we think is a good solution. Um, I'm the, the way I, I describe, uh, I describe this to people as I just say, focus on making sure that you feel that you can really develop your development experience. Um, be wary of, of, of thing of solutions that have you cloning YAML files, um, uh, all over, all over your repositories. Um, don't let it take you more than an afternoon to roll out new tools. Um, you've got to, you've got to be able to do that, um, in, in a few hours. Um, and if you can't, then it's broken. Now, is this a few hours for uh, an expert in, in the, in the field of this particular subject matter, or is this just a uh, generic, uh, developer or ops person within an organization? Just a, a, a generic ops person within an organization. Oh, that's, um, that's good like, then. A few hours yeah. is good. Yeah. Yeah. Make sure you can make sure you can adapt your pipeline quickly and, and, and efficiently. Like, I mean, I used the pipeline world there, but word there, but make, make sure that you, that this is, that this is something you, you feel like this, this is a, um, a canvas for, for your teams, for experts and, and innovative people in your team to continue, um, adding more things. Cause, uh, if, 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 if the, if the, the system is open. There is a there's a lot of automation innovation that can occur, and so we're uh, we're excited to see what people do with it. 
Awesome. Well, I appreciate you being on the show, Jim. Um, and if, if, if it sounds like Adamus is going in great places, um, it might be worth having you back on a future episode to, to see where things have gone uh, as you get later in the stage because you're very early in the stage right now, right? True, very early, yep. Yeah, so I appreciate you being on the show, Jim. Thanks, Nick. Hopefully you found the information that Jim had to say valuable towards your future deployment needs. I know that before I heard about Atomist, I had that original kind of continuous integration, continuous delivery pipeline mentality. Um, And having heard of that there was a better way that maybe you can create workflows and events uh, using something like Atomist, it really makes you think about how you can better improve or become more efficient when it comes to delivering your software. I'd like to give a special shout out to DigitalOcean, who's the sponsor of the Polyglot Developer Podcast. In case you're unfamiliar with DigitalOcean, it's by far the easiest cloud platform to run and scale your applications. DigitalOcean has a variety of products ranging from object storage to scalable compute services, all of which having a very affordable and predictable pricing model. In case you are unaware, the Polyglot developer is actually hosted on DigitalOcean, and it has been for several years now. If you'd like to give DigitalOcean a try and see why I like it so much, I actually have a promotional code to give out. It'll get you $100, which will actually get you quite far when it comes to the services that you can get. In your web browser, go ahead and navigate to do.co slash polyglot, and that will go ahead and get you the promotional value when you sign up. And again, that's $100, and that'll get you quite far. If you have an idea for a future podcast episode, or maybe even you want to be a guest, I want to hear about it. So reach out to me. So uh, you can find me on Twitter. My Twitter handle is nraboy, so my first initial last name. Or just go ahead and shoot me an email. My email address is contact at thepolyglotdeveloper.com. And once you reach out, we can then further discuss, well, what makes sense to be on the Polyglot Developer Podcast. So we can iron out the details, come up with a great topic, and hopefully educate all of the all of the subscribers of this podcast uh, with this new content. And that concludes episode number 19.